Welcome to the Against the Stream Nashville podcast. In keeping with the Buddha's encouragement to ensure that these teachings are freely offered to all, we do not have any set dues or fees associated with any of our classes or media. In an effort to sustain our ability to do so, we ask that you contribute via our website at againstthestreamnashville.com by clicking the Donate tab, or via the mobile app Venmo by sending a donation to the username at ATS Nashville. Enjoy. This week, there was the Santa Fe school shooting. Ten people were killed. Another uh, 13 people were injured. It seems to be a uh, continuous pattern between uh, young white men. Uh, These shootings are an epidemic right now. And while I go through and and see the news and see the commentaries about uh, the shooting, they noticed about the shooter that there was a great deal of advances that the shooter um, gave to this young lady that may have provoked him to commit this shooting. And uh, her name's Shauna Fisher, and she reportedly has rejected these advances on the shooter. And, um, and it's a very interesting thing to, to note. And uh, some, an article I read was titled, Toxic Masculinity Seems to Be a Theme Yet Again in the Santa Fe Shooting. And uh, the author, Sarah Midkiff and Ashley Shervinsky, And part of this article, I'm just going to read. um, Getting killed in a mass shooting shouldn't be something a teenage girl or anyone, for that matter, should have to worry about. She didn't owe him anything. Whenever we, uh, whatever, whatever he, whenever he, excuse me, expressed interest, she said no. That should be enough. No one should have to consider the possibility of violence when telling somebody they're not interested in romantic relationships. I landed on this topic of toxic masculinity, discussing Buddhist practices to approach toxic masculinity. And it's very interesting that I picked this topic and then this shooting happened. And I don't know if it's just an odd coincidence, but I don't think it is. And so when I talk about this, this term toxic masculinity, for me, it's, it's, it's very conflicted. It's even the term masculinity is very conflicted in me. That um, there's a lot of confusion around it. What is masculinity? And I've received many mixed messages in my life about masculinity. And so when I can define uh, what makes toxic masculinity, it, uh, it may be used to address a, a particular abusive male behavior, things like harassment, homophobia, transphobia, sexism, or violence. Um, where masculinity is a, just a broad term used to uh, describe a certain set of behaviors that we assign to manliness or manhood, whether they're positive or negative. Um, 
but toxic masculinity is used to refer to a subset of those behaviors which are harmful or destructive. It's often used as a sort of shorthand to describe a link to domination, humiliation, and control. It's marked by things like emotional detachment or hyper-competitiveness. It's also connected to sexual ob objectification of women as well as other sexual predatory behaviors. It's also linked closely to aggression, intimidation, and violence. So the modifier toxic is used to highlight the fact that uh, there are these kinds of behaviors carried with them some sort of potential uh, danger or deadly outcomes. And it's mostly defined by the opposition, as being an opposition of anything that is assigned as feminine or uh, womanly. And so that I can notice in my conditioning, and uh, it seems to be something relatable in young boys that, that, you know, using the term girl as an insult, don't be a girl as an insult. And this creates a hierarchical structure that can be very problematic that don't be this, that men are the dominant gender, and yes, they are the dominant gender in this culture, and that is using this as a way to uh, reinforce that cultural bias that's going on and defining that. And this can lead into many different issues that uh, men are in charge, so that can lead to a lot of even sexual violence, that listen to the man, not necessarily the woman. You know, this hierarchy is uh, really connected to rape culture. That the value of men is generally viewed more important than the value of women. So just to, just to clearly define toxic masculinity is defined by emotional detachment, hyper-competitiveness, aggression, intimidation, violence, sexual ob objectification, and there's a, a, like a sexual predatory aspect of it too. And so when we talk about the opposition of anything womanly, anything feminine, that we have this uh, construct around gender in our culture that is completely uh, made up, constructed, that, that there are men and women that act this way and that way, and when we notice that construct around it, we generally assign um, thinking is for men and feeling is for women. And so when we're brought up in a certain way, that, that pushes out anything that can be considered womanly, that the idea that emotions are womanly, so boys are not conditioned to allow feelings, emotions into their experience. So they, their experience becomes hardened. Thinking, something like thinking can be very much uh, valued. And so this thinking aspect, if we notice even in meditation practice that our mind shows up, our mind wants to fix every moment, wants to control any moment, wants to figure it out, wants to achieve, or wants to acknowledge rather than accept. And the emotions has this acceptance quality to it, and this thinking has this figuring out quality to it. 
And so when we look at something like uh, the Santa Fe shooter, where there is this aspect of rejection involved. So rather than feeling the emotion of rejection, what can I do about this? How can I fix this? How can I make this right? And generally, the only emotion that is available to men with this outlook is anger. And anger is a very valuable emotion, but it doesn't work for everything. Anger is the emotion that some sort of oppression is arising and I need to do something about it. And so if that's the only available emotion, then emotions in general are experienced as oppression and I need to do something about it. So even in me, I can see where that comes from. As scary as that is, I can see where that shooter experiences humiliation, shame, rejection, and they can all be very strange to him. And therefore, using what's available to him as an emotion that says, I need to do something about this, this is oppressive that I feel like this, and this is their fault that I'm doing something like this, and I need to um, act out. And so, uh, yeah, I went to see, I love the band, War on Women. I don't know if anybody's ever seen them or heard them, but I've seen them live a couple times. And their singer uh, said, uh, men's biggest fear is that women will laugh at them. Women's biggest fear is men will kill them. And the notice that, that that's true in this, this shooting situation. And, um, and then the seriousness along with that whole statement that men's biggest fear is that women will laugh at them, that we are inherently community-based creatures, we're pack animals, we want to belong, we want to fit in. And so this humiliation is that you don't fit in with a pack, even when we were you know, thousands and thousands of years ago when we were living in packs and communities where it was life and death that we lived in certain environments, and if you lived in community, that meant survival. If you were outcasted from the community, that meant death. So we have this innately in us to fit in, to belong. And in order to fit in and belong with boys, we're in, we're in this endless loop. So we're in this loop that um, in order to fit in, I have to hide my emotions. But I have this in me that I want to fit in because of my emotions. So it's this endless loop for needing to belong while not being a burden onto people. And so we constantly hide the emotions and never express them as a fear of being rejected. And in any case that we don't set up any sort of environment of feeling or empathy or, or knowing. And so if somebody isn't available for their own emotional environment and aren't available to know what emotions are, it can be very distressful. Like if somebody, if I started crying right now, I'm sure a great deal of you would know, oh, sadness, and actually feel some sadness, feel some sadness in the throat, you get, maybe your face would turn red, and, and maybe you'd actually even cry just for my crying. And so these emotions, that's what they generally do. They're contagious. We can feel into each other's emotions. We can know each other's emotions. And we can provide some empathy 
It's like, I see that. Oh, I know sadness. I, I, I feel that. I feel that. I know that. Sadness. And um, if somebody is not available for that, it can be very distressful. And we have this, this term called empathy distress. And somebody welcomes in uh, an uh, emotion that is not generally held from the other individual. It's foreign to them. It's something they don't know. It can become distressful. And what they will do is the other aspect. Not to feel, but to think. And so therefore, they will try to fix your problems. Fixing your problems is nice to a certain degree, but generally, when it's an emotional problem, we just want to be heard. And how many times we can go to somebody and be like, you know, I got this situation, I'm feeling fucked up over it, this happened to me, it sucks, I'm not that great. Well, why don't you do this, this, and this, and this? And what that really says is, I don't have time to feel whatever you're presenting into the room. And so how this perpetuates as a way of closing off our hearts in both men and women, and how this creates this culture of separateness and isolation. So isolation can be very dangerous. Like I said, we're naturally community-based creatures. And so when we become isolated, we can become isolated even in a group. We can come together and still feel separate from one another. And it still can feel like death. So I remember my first introduction to toxic masculinity. It was a, uh, a middle school coach I had. He only had really like two modes. He was, it was either anger or ridicule. And I, I just fucking hated this guy. And at the same time, I had to be around him for three years. And so therefore, all I, I hated him as well as I had to adapt. So I picked up a lot of these cues from him at the same time, couldn't stand him. And, and generally, this is that middle school age, um, that young adolescence where boys pick up on this a lot. That um, that's the, when we want boys to become men. But then we create this very distorted view of what it is to be a person. And so um, there's an NYU professor, Naomi Wei, and says that generally, yeah, middle school is the age where men pick up on this uh, toxic masculinity and that boys get older, they receive messages of bizarre expectations as they get older that they should disconnect with the innate emotional cues, their emotional cues of sensitivity and just what it is to become a man. Isolation is devastating for everybody. Isolation is a huge predictor to all sorts of health problems. Um, it's said that even isolation can be as unhealthy as smoking a pack a day, a pack of cigarettes a day. Um, and I, as I reflect on some of my own miseducation of what it is to be a man, um, I've shared this a few times here that um, it's not just adolescence. Through life, we receive these messages to become something that generally just isolates us more because we don't want to be a burden to people. 
when I was in my early 20s, when I talk about this, this confusion around masculinity, there's some confusion around gender in me. That when I was in my early 20s, I dressed a certain way that looks different than now. I had long, pretty hair. I wore makeup. I shopped in the, the women's section, had uh, a different way of dressing. I was much thinner. I looked more feminine. I carried a purse. It was a, it was, my favorite purse was a, uh, a Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse purse. I, I like Disney. I'm from Florida. Um, and so just being from Florida, Northwest Florida, Florida, Lower Alabama, this is a very uh, threatening thing. And so one day I was uh, getting some cigarettes with some friends and some people in a big pickup truck didn't like what I was doing there. They didn't like the way I looked, the way I acted, that I got called names, wasn't going to have it. And they called me some derogatory terms that are still pretty triggering for me, and they beat the fuck out of me. And they followed me down an alley, and, and yeah, they kicked my ass. And at that time, I, I, there wasn't any emotional availability for me. So I went to some friends of mine, some guys, and said, yeah, these guys like, fucking kicked my ass. And they would... I remember even one person saying was, man, if I was there, I would have beat the, the fuck out of them. Not what I was looking for. So I received this, this shame of, one, expressing vulnerability to a man, and the way to fix it was next time kick their ass. Rather than reaching some empathy to being like, man, yeah, that's tough. That, that's tough to deal with. That's tough to be with. I, I got you. I'll hear you. I'll... I'll I'll be with you, and I'll feel best with you. But then it turned into, uh, don't do that again. Next time, win. Next time, toughen up. So that's what I did. I toughened up. I look different now, maybe because of that, maybe something else. Um, beyond that point, I got into a lot of fights. I was... Uh, reach that conditioning, that male conditioning of violence, of this competitiveness. If anybody's a threat to me, I'll beat the fuck out of you, because I know you will to me. And uh, I become very closed off. Alcohol became a very wonderful tool to just manage myself through the day, until it, it didn't anymore. I mean, I'm lucky that I found this path as a way to even note this conditioning that's happening in my life, that this male conditioning happens in my life, that these, these causes of what led me here have happened in my life. And uh, because all that was available to me was anger, was hate, was protection, because that's all I learned. And so... I'm very grateful that, for one, that I have a place to feel into that anger. That we can't, we can't hate our anger out of us. There's no, nothing wrong with feeling anger. Can I feel this anger and know this anger? That anger can really just be, at least in my case, a secondary emotion that is emotional cue to a lot of other things. It was almost like this uncovering. That they talked about excavating the heart. So I had to excavate this anger a little bit and see, oh, there's some shame under there. 
and knowing the shame that shame is really this that I feel like I'm a mistake. I feel like there's something wrong with me. And that's why this, is, this confusion is in me and this masculinity because I feel like there's something wrong with me because I don't understand what it is to be masculine. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me to be at least this toxic mas- masculinity. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me to hide my emotions with alcohol. Doesn't make sense to me to compete all the fucking time. Doesn't make sense to me cause harm because I feel sexually inadequate. Doesn't make sense to me to have a certain amount of partners so I feel okay. Doesn't make sense. And at the same time, that's what I'm conditioned. That's what feels right. No lie. That's what it feels like what I'm supposed to do to be honest. feels like I'm supposed to compete. doesn't necessarily make sense or feel right. So that's that conflict in me. Um, you know, I wrote down a bunch of boring studies. Um, anger causes heart disease. Just to sum it up there, so I don't have to go through this boring study. <laughs> um, so Pima Chodron says, we can use the poison as good medicine. But I can't hate out this part of me that is resentful. I can't hate out this part of me that's angry. I can use it as good medicine. That it can be a, a, a cue to notice that I need something. Um, and how can I be with it? How can I meet this? And so can I be compassionate towards my hatred? Because it does becomes easier. It does become easier. And to get a little geeky and nerdy about this, that, that anger, stress, resentment actually shape our brain to think more, anger, resentment, stress. That cortisol is the chemical that releases into the body. And when cortisol is released, the stress hormone is released, the amygdala grows. We've actually done brain scans that the amygdala grows, and so the amygdala becomes stronger. The amygdala is part of the brain that's non-contextual. It's very reactive. When we say this practice is suffering in the end of suffering, I know Stephen Batchelor calls it suffering in the end of reactivity. And we don't have to immediately react to everything. We can have a response. We don't become reactive. And so when we have this cortisol in our system from all this anger that's in us, um, this amygdala, this part of the brain that is very reactive, actually grows, and the hippocampus shrinks. The hippocampus is what gives us emotional context of knowing things, that it gives us a storyline. So we're storytelling beings to communicate to each other. We say, this happened, this happened, and when this anger and this cortisol wreaks havoc on the brain, the actual hippocampus that gives us those context shrinks and is less available to us. And so how we can actually work with this is redefining what generally masculinity is. So we have to redefine that to note um, that feeling. You've got to feel it to heal it. That this feeling, that these emotions have to be available to us because we can't think ourselves out of this. That thinking 
even in when we talk about the parts of the brain, that thinking isn't available to us as much when we're in this anger state. It's a feeling process. So what is anger? Where I said shame, that shame in me. What is shame? Shame feels like this in the body. That it feels like this pressure on my chest. Oh, that, a little bit of sadness there. A little bit of disappointment in there. And what is all this? It's an experience. It's this implicit memory. An implicit memory doesn't necessarily have context. It's all this implicit experiences that we're going through here. And so... Um, we're going to talk about, oh, this is what toxic masculinity is, and this is how it shows up in me. Um, my experience as a man is uh, limited, too. That I do have my own social blind spots. I can only see so much and experience so much as a man. And therefore, sure, I, I am sure I've caused a great deal of harm, stuff I know and stuff I, I don't know. And so therefore, what would this redefinition of masculinity look like if I was to present one? And a certain part of that is that vulnerability, the opening up of the feeling of experiencing emotion in a different way rather than thinking it out. And also accountability is very important. That um, in a certain context, this could sound like I'm attacking men. And I'm just looking at the male condition of what I'm working in here, what we are working in here as men, and is also what we're working in as, as people, as men, women, non-binary folks, just everybody, how we're working in, we're all living in this together. And so a certain amount of accountability is important, and we're, this accountability comes into place as this, not this over-identification that I may have caused some harm, can I say, yeah, I may have caused some harm. Yes, I caused harm there. What can I do about it? Rather than shaming myself and saying, I'm a mistake. I'm, I'm a fuck up. I was watching, oh, I, I was flipping through the channels. Uh, uh, Fox News came on. And uh, uh, was it T Tucker Carlson? Tucker? Okay. Uh, he was doing a piece on something. Uh, there, was, there was a college... And it was the title of their, they were doing a course called Understanding Whiteness. And I was like, okay, that, you know, like, can we look at what it is to be a white person in this country and, uh, and define some of the conditionings that come around being a white person in this country? And so he invited this person on his show to talk about this program that he's running about understanding whiteness and his first um, not question, but his first statement, well, I guess it is a question, was, uh, what's with this racist crap? And that, so identify there is shame right there. The shame, this over-identification that I am white, I am wrong, I can't investigate that. So can we, for one, acknowledge it and accept it, yes, I am a white man, and at the same time, I can do what I can to navigate myself in this world without over-identifying with the harm that caused. What can I do about this? So if I'm going to be a, a, a man in this world, how can I take accountability and do what needs to be done to heal any harm as well as set that karma, that momentum to create men in this world 
that are available to not be so binary in this process of, of not feeling. And then, so uh, just even things like uh, where I jotted down some ideas of just what masculinity really could be of, of accountability, responsibility, vulnerability. Vulnerability is, is strength. Uh, vulnerability is the new strength. Yeah. I go into jails and, and work with, uh, or it's been a second, but I have plenty, plenty of years gone to jails and worked with some incarcerated men. And, and the amount of vulnerability in those rooms, in those jails, is just beautiful, is wonderful. And it's strong. Because what's easier? What's less scary? It's so much easier to get angry. It's so much easier to yell at somebody. It's way more scarier to come up to somebody and tell, you, tell them they care, you care about them. It's way scarier just to walk up to a stranger and be like, how are you doing seriously? Way scarier just to be like, you know, I'm feeling a little upset about this. Let me talk to this about you. In my experience, that's way scarier than just being a dick to somebody. That's easy. So that takes a lot of strength. And so we need to lift ourselves up and to be, be strong. And so um, I do want to leave some time and space for any discussion around this, any questions. Um, I know I didn't touch into many traditional Dharma practices on this, but it's, it's in there. Um, so if you have any questions about that, please feel free. And if you need to share on anything, make sure and speak from your perspective. I statements. And, and also, if I need to hear something, like I said, I have my own limitations. I have my own blind spots. It is kind of nerve-wracking right now to talk about toxic masculinity when I'm a guy and I know I've caused harm. And so if there's anything I need to hear, please. So... Uh, yeah, I'll leave the floor for that, so thank you.